Yo, one, two, one, two. We are live on Beat People Podcast, episode 73. Um, we got the usual suspects in here, but we also have a special guest. We are interviewing and talking with the Moogstress, Michelle Mokusa. Uh, we're going to be discussing the Bob Moog Foundation, the Moogseum, the uh, Electronic Voyager documentary, and the Moog Legacy, and probably a ton of other stuff. And we're happy to have her here. So without further ado, uh, let's go ahead and get started. Hey, hey, what's up, everybody? Hello. Hey. So welcome to the show, Michelle. Well, thanks. It's an honor to be here. It's an honor to have you here. Um, we got everybody in the house. Travarsi, what's going on, Travarsi? Hey. And we got D Still. Here. And we got <laughs> Upright. <laughs> And I am B-Boy Tech, also known as Corey. And so, Michelle, it's it's cool to have you here because, you know, we see you around NAMM. And uh, actually, last time I saw you at NAMM, I stopped you and I just told you, you know, I just kind of felt the need to tell you how uh, how how influential, which I already know you know that your father is and and. Um, I found myself chasing a certain synth sound when I got into synths, you know, because in my ignorance, I kind of thought synth is a synth is a synth, and you can make any sound with any synth because it's a synth. <laughs> and it, and it took me years to find out that the sound that I was really chasing from, you know, uh, you know, Stevie Wonder records and all that other stuff that I grew up on, and even the Isley Brothers and and just about everything that I grew up on, the sound that I was chasing was a mold sound. Then later, one of my favorite producers, uh, Jay Dilla, um, and his Voyager sound and 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 I found chasing that I, when I got a mold I was like oh <laughs> there it is <laughs> so when I saw you at Nam I was just kind of like yo I need to tell her just how special how important her father is to me as if you didn't know already that how important he is because you built this uh this the the mold foundation and the museum and um how often do you get people to come up to you and kind of uh, a little in awe of your father and, and just feel the need to to gush at you like that well at nam i get it a lot and uh, <laughs> you know when when i'm out and about and um you know i meet new people sometimes i get it then too but i have to tell you that every time is kind of like the first time i'm hearing it because every kind of testimonial about how Bob Moog has affected somebody's life mm -hmm. is uh, is like a brand new experience. And mm -hmm. it's so heartfelt and kind of profound that mm -hmm. it, I always kind of just, uh, it, it stops me, um, you know, kind of intellectually. And I'm, it's, it, it almost takes me back the same way every single time. Um, just because it is so powerful, so I'd never be afraid to come up and tell me how 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 impactful that legacy has been on your life and your music. Because it's it's uh, it's a really beautiful, I think, sacred thing. Yeah, so, yeah, I can so, imagine. Uh, real quick, I, I I've had this burning question within me. Uh, uh oh, since I, <laughs> when I knew you were doing this, I just wanted to ask you, like, what was it like growing up around? you know, a, a, a man just like in 
in the lab making these like crazy concoctions. I'd love to hear like your perspective on that, you know, growing up. What was that like and how that impacted like your life today? Well, it's, I think it's not what a lot of people think because my father kept his career at arm's length from the family. And I was born in 1968. So at that point he had a workshop outside the house. Then in 1970, 71, we moved, I was only three. He had a little workshop inside the house, but didn't do too much synthesis work there because he was at Moog Music most of the time. Um, and then a little bit later, he had a workshop behind our house. And then when I was a t, I would, when I was ten, we moved down here to North Carolina. We were here till I was seventeen. He also had his workshop um, just across the driveway, and that's all kind of a symbolism for. Our, how much he kept his career separate from the family. Mm -hmm. To the point that uh, I like to say that I didn't really meet Bob Moog until he was 37, until I was 37 years old and, he, and he passed away. Oh, I mean, yeah. I knew my dad, but I did not really know Bob Moog. I had like these few glimmers into my, my dad was Bob Moog during my life, but for the most part, he was, very set on keeping it pretty separate. Uh, I remember when I was about five years old, he was on to tell the truth. And some of you might be too young to even yeah. know. No, children. I know. I know. What, that is. Yeah. Yeah. What, yeah. what is that? What is that? It's a, it's a game <laughs> show. He just says, what is that? Just so you could know that. You right. know what you're referring to as too young. Yeah, it was a game show with three celebrity judges and then three um, kind of contestants, mm -hmm. and they all proclaimed to be the same important person, like important but not really well known person. Oh, I think I, I think I might have seen that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you have to at the end. You have to figure out who's who, right? Well, yeah, okay. and you're supposed to. So the celebrity contestants vote based on the answers that the contestants have given, and um, and so we weren't allowed to watch a lot of TV in our family. So the fact that my mom was sitting us down in front of the TV, it's like, we're going to watch dad on TV. And then <laughs> my father on TV, and you have to understand my dad was like this kind of geeky, cool, sure, you know, sometimes sure, sure. a little awkward kind yeah. of shy, shy guy. And it's like, what, you know, what is dad doing on TV? You know, <laughs> on TV and Oscars on yeah. TV. And, well, like, like, dad that's not TV. where dad is supposed right, to right. be. Right. <laughs> and especially, especially when they, you know, they introduced who, who Robert Moog was. And at that point, nobody knew who the real Robert Moog was. But then at the end of the show, they say, well, the real Robert Moog, please stand up. And he got that's none it. of that's the it. votes. Yep. He got none of votes. See mm -hmm. the guy in the middle. I think the guy in the middle that? got all the votes. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So that's, yeah. <laughs> when, they, when they said, with the real Robert Moe, please stand up. And my dad like pops up with this huge grin on his face. <laughs> I'm I'm happy. I'm happy that uh look at that. I'm, I'm, happy, I'm happy that you're saying your last name a lot because, because it, confirms, it confirms yeah, yeah that's how it's supposed to be said. Yeah. So mm -hmm. everybody just know it's Moog. Yeah, just look at the O's and you know it's Moog's. Yeah. Mm -hmm. no, no cows is what I like to say. Please, no cows. 
<laughs> no <laughs> but I could have sworn I could have sworn I've seen footage of Dr. Bob Moog saying uh, some people in my family pronounce it Moog, some people in my family pronounce it Moog, so whatever. <laughs> well, you know, he it that's true, and that is on YouTube. It's like Moog Moog on Moog or so that's what the video clip is called, it's something mm. like that. And it's true that um, people pronounce that name differently. But the fact is, he pronounced his last name Moog. Well, there you go, Dan. You heard it here, folks. No, if Bob Moog is saying it's Moog, then we're going to. Then that's what we're going to say. Right, right. And plus, I've been correcting people since I was in kindergarten. They called the role. So I'm the party line here. No, exactly. What he explains in there is it's a Dutch name. And in Dutch, it's pronounced Moog. Oh. Now we got a third. Now we got a third. Now we pronounce it. We're not asking everyone to do that guttural thing. We're just asking for the wrong note. I actually, I actually correct people. Actually, it's I would actually enjoy saying moch because I would just walk up and just feel more. That's what you fancy. That's what you fancy. Well, yeah. And you can tell somebody you're such a noob. You don't even know. Yeah, you're such a noob. You kid me? We actually have a relationship with Michelle. You're such a noob. Hey, hey, Bryce. Hey, Bryce. It's not noob. It's noob. We're gonna start right, a movement right. now. We're gonna start. So Michelle, I, um, we were we were talking before the show began, and there was some some interesting stuff you were saying that um, you all just painted, uh, just had to board up the mold foundation and stuff because of the stuff that's going in going on around us. Mm -hmm. um, and you're gonna be painting some stuff. You probably can't tell us what you got because this is gonna be like a reveal with the what you painted up on the boards yeah. or what's yeah. going on with that. Yeah, so some of you guys might know that the Bob Moog Foundation, one of our main projects is the Moogseum, which just opened a year ago. We've been working for like 10 years to get something open. And um, of course we had to close in the middle yeah. of March, um, but due to the protests in Asheville, um, that have gotten, you know, just a little agitated. They have gotten a little agitated and there's been um, some breaking of windows and um, some tagging of windows. We decided to uh, board up our windows along with many other storefronts in Asheville. Mm -hmm. And um, a lot of people were able to get theirs like painted right away um, with these really, there's all, if you just kind of look on Facebook, you'll probably be able to see all kinds of really cool tributes to George Floyd and say their name, Black Lives Matter, you know, mm. the, the power yeah. yeah, yeah, it's really beautiful. And, um, but I had to sit here, sit there and kind of decide what are we gonna do? And I didn't wanna be redundant to what other people had done as beautiful as it was. And I, I certainly didn't wanna just do like something that was just branding, you know? Mm -hmm. I wanted to contribute something meaningful. And I started thinking about my dad because he was really committed to civil rights of all kinds, equality of all kinds. As a matter of fact, he was a member of the ACLU for decades. And he used to proudly have a sticker on his um, briefcase that had all his tools in it that said mm -hmm. card carrying member of the ACLU. <laughs> nice. Um, and, you know, he was really, he just, 
really did not understand people who did not believe in justice, who didn't believe in equality, um, who didn't believe in equal opportunity. Mm -hmm. uh, I think his, his ethos was so different. He, um, he was really frustrated by it. And so I just came up with a few phrases basically thinking about him and the way that he approached his life and the world and his career, because it seems to me that his career is a real reflection of his commitment to, uh, you know, shining your gifts on everybody and making those gifts accessible to everybody. And that's certainly what he did in his life. Dope, dope. Yeah, I love that. Nice. And I'm I think even in I'm looking forward to seeing it too. And I think even in these times, it's, it's cool to be able to uh, have that legacy that has carried on from all of that time all the way up to now. And it's still, his thoughts and, and his passions about all of that still very relevant today. So that's very mm -hmm. cool. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they, they are. And I just think because was really humble and really grounded and he was a humanist and that never gets old. Yeah, no you know, doubt. He had a certain kind of, special wisdom. So that right. definitely comes through in his thoughts. And, you know, I feel like it also comes through in his instruments. When you say you looked, you were looking and looking and looking for that sound and you finally got right. avoided. <laughs> and sometimes I still find it stunning with mm -hmm. all the leaps and bounds and technological advances that mm -hmm. that moog sound still cuts through it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. 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 It, it really does. Amazing. Yeah. And I'll tell you, there, there was times when I thought I'd found the sound. And I was like, I'm rocking with this, I'm rolling with this. But when I really got a moog, I was like, that wasn't the damn sound. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, rarely, I rarely have to do any um, subtractive eq or anything uh, mm -hmm. to my moogs like whenever i'm mixing a record because they just fit really nice in the mix yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah they, they they have that they definitely have that magical sound it's interesting that you say you know you you kind of met you know the bob moog you know, there towards, you know, you were already how old and you knew him as dad. This is dad. That's his work is what he does. Yeah. Was there a time when you started meeting people that were, you know, had influence or that were famous, that their this his uh, inventions and innovations kind of affected them the same way or impacted them the same way? Yeah, you know, there was just dad, but all of a sudden he'd have you know, Aisao Tomita would come over to the house when he was visiting. What? Or, um, oh. I don't know if you guys um, know the jazz saxophonist, Eddie Harris. Yes. Eddie mm -hmm. Harris was at our house, and I loved him. Oh, that's crazy. He was great, but you know, it, you know, but why did I love him? Because he was funny and smart and warm. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that he was a brilliant musician. <laughs> and, but I tell you, the one time that it probably struck me the most, or maybe two, was when I was a little older. You know, you begin to un understand the nuances of these things. We we lived um, way out in the country in North Carolina here. And, uh, you know, we, we had a, our driveway was a third of a mile long. We lived on 89 acres. There was nobody around. Wow. And one day, 
this guy comes in like tight black leather pants and a black leather jacket and long hair. And it's like, what, what is going on? It's like, oh yeah, that's one of the roadies from Toto. He's here to get a keyboard. From oh my goodness. Wow. <laughs> You're like, what? And it's like, wow, that guy's really, you know, this, and that's when you begin to realize like you, you have this mind meld. Oh, you know, yeah. there is something else really big out there that I don't mm -hmm. really understand, <laughs> but it's right in front of me right now. Mm -hmm. And then Chick Korea came to visit once, oh, too. And, oh, wow. and, 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 you know, Chick just has a very, even as a kid I could, or a teenager, I could sense he has a very special wow. air about him. As I think, He's you know, magical. Of, He's magical. He's magical. He's really deep. Uh, and I just sat there and stared at him the whole time. <laughs> it's not just it's trying to understand him, but then trying to understand my father through him. Wow. So it's when these people, it's when these people would appear who are very different from anyone else that we would ever see in our lives. I, I began to, to understand the kind of people that my dad was working with. Yeah. That's so it's cool, that, that is actually super yeah. cool, and I, I kind of think um, the lineage of uh, you know Moog music, Bob Moog, and his inventions. So, what was it? The '60s when he created the the first Moog synth, and then up through the '70s, he was kind of thriving through thing. At some point, he closed business down. What was the advent that that sort of thing happened and how do you end up circling back around to come back? Mm. Mm. That's, a, that's a big old history right there. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, try, I'll try to, I'll try to uh, kind of condense it. Condense it, yeah. <laughs> so he, he met Herb Deutsch who was the kind of catalyst for him uh, inventing the Moog synthesizer. Hmm. He met Herb in at the end of 1963, invented the synthesizer in 64. Herb was sent the prototype in 1965. He developed his uh, line of modulars in 66, 67. 67 is when they actually started calling them synthesizers. Before that, they were called Portable electronic music composition systems. That's too long. Whoa. I was going to put this rule off the top. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> said, That's too long. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, 1967 was the first time they, they referred to them as synthesizers. Wow. By 1968, by 1967, uh, the Moog synthesizer becomes integrated into pop music with the birds, the monkeys. 1968 is Swiss Chambach. 1969, the Beatles used the Moog synthesizer on Abbey Road. Wow. So that was really there was, a, there was a time there too mm -hmm. when it was almost a trend for record companies to be like, it'll switch on Bach did XYZ. We need us a Moog record. Everybody mm -hmm. make a Moog yep. record. Mm -hmm. yeah, they call yeah. them Moog exploitation albums. Yeah, there you go. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, pretty so cool. there are a lot of them out there. Mm -hmm. um, but then, you know, at that point, uh, the company and dad began to realize they needed something that was portable. Those modulars were too expensive. They went out of tune mm. too much. They were too hard to carry or impossible wow. to carry. So that's when the idea of the mini Moog came up mm. through the company, um, started that's by an engineer named Bill Hamstad. And, uh, you know, my dad really resisted the mini Moog for a long time. Really? And one of, one of the reasons was, is because he had devoted those six years and, you know, thousands of hours of his time to expanding the sonic landscape. Mm 
Hmm. And then the mini I, mode, I see that. Yeah. The mini mode minimized <laughs> that. Yeah, right. yeah. Yeah. But you know, wow. in a way, it expanded things in another way, and that is it put sure. synthesis in the hands of a lot more people. Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, it made it that much more accessible, mm -hmm. exponentially more accessible. So that was mm -hmm. 1970. But what also happened during that time, and this is a whole nother history, is uh, that because of several factors, my dad was $250,000 in debt. Mm -hmm. So this is this is right when the Minimog was coming out, but before it had really ex ex exploded. Mm -hmm. And he needed to find an investor to get him out of uh get him out of his financial trouble because $250,000 may not sound like a lot. No, yeah. Now, it's $1.5 million. Yeah. You know, he's $1.5 million in debt. He's got four kids at home. Um, and one of them's a newborn. So he had a lot of, a lot of uh, responsibility on his shoulders. In any case, um, he finally found someone to buy the business um, and that person was a venture capitalist. And as far as his approach to the world and doing good, it was the complete opposite of my dad's. Mm -hmm. But he did save the business and he wanted moving the business to Buffalo, New York. The, the name changed from RA Moog Code to Moog Music at that time. Okay. And my dad stayed there um, from 1971 to 1977, but he got out of there as quickly as he could. He was the president president of the company but he was really uh for a couple of years he worked on some substantial synthesizer projects but he was pretty quickly pushed to the side and he was you know by the end he was building lab amps and maestro foot pedals you know so uh he, when he is asked about it in interviews he diplomatically says i left mode music because they no longer knew how to use my talents what was the last Robert Moog synth? The very last. Oh, the, the last one is the Voyager. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 And yet that is that is all him. I mean, he had help from some very important engineers that worked at the company, but wow. that, that Voyager was his baby. Wow. And that, yeah. that's you have the Voyager, nice. right, Corey? Yep, I do. Oh, okay. What? So, so just to, to I'll speed it up a little here, but in 1977, he left Moog Music, and that's when we moved down here. I was 10 years old. He couldn't. He lost the right to use his own name. At that that's point. what I wanted to get to, like how that ended up happening. I guess right. so, I'll, I'll, I'll let them? you go for it. Yeah, they well, you know, you know, when he left the company, he kind of sold his shares, and mm -hmm. that was their way. I mean, I, I get it. That was their way of having kind of a non-complete compete. Clause. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, it would be hard for them to sell Moog instruments if there were also Bob Moog instruments mm -hmm. out there. So he lost the right to use his name and he started a company um, called Big Briar Incorporated, but it was very different. At that point, he felt like synthesis had gone um, as far as he was interested in it going. Where he mm -hmm. felt it was really lacking was how. Um, how musicians were able to interface with that synthesis. And he was really interested in alternative interfaces. And I'm not telling you what, this is 1979. You know, the Hawken Continuum, the Rolly keyboards, uh, all the other stuff that's coming out now, that is the kind of thing he was working on in 1979, even before. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. That's now, crazy. he wasn't nearly as far along because his conceptualization of what that should be um, 
the technology just wasn't there yet. And it also, those things depend on software and he wasn't a coder. Um, but when he passed away, right before he passed away, he was in search of a software engineer to help him bring one of his ideas to life. But anyhow, we had, he had Big Briar for six, six years down here in North Carolina. Mm. And, um, he was making these um, alternative interfaces, a theremin interface, a multi-touch sensitive interface, a touch plate interface, which which finally wound up as a touch plate on the Voyager. Wow. He developed that way before, you know, in, in, in the early 80s when I was a teenager. And I tell people every time I see one of those touch plates, I, I get this little like, I go, my little brain goes like this because for me, I mean, those touch plates are great, touch pads, mm -hmm. but um, I remember coming home from school and opening the door to the house and it stunk like chemicals. <laughs> what is going on in here? My mom said, your father is cooking touch plate panels in the oven. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, that's not funny. Like, hey, what's dad making? Touch plate panels. Touch plate. Right. <laughs> not chocolate chip cookies today. Right, right, right. <laughs> Can we eat that? <laughs> no, sleep for dinner. We'll make a touch plates today. <laughs> Anyhow. <laughs> so he was doing that kind of thing. He was also making custom instruments for people. He was writing for Keyboard Magazine at that point. He was doing a lot of consulting and public speaking, but none what, of that. What, what year was this? Just out of curiosity. This is, between, this is between 1978 and 1984. Okay. Mm. Okay. okay. So, okay. So, so these custom instruments that he was making for people. What are those? <laughs> well, like one of them was a, a multi-touch sensitive keyboard. Um, that is, I would say, a precursor to something like the Hawken Continuum, the Rolly keyboards. It was developed for an, a microtonal uh, opera composer, John wow. Eaton. Where is he at now? Is he still around? And Unfortunately, John passed away oh, uh, years oh. ago. But so, you can man. read about him. And if you write his name down, John Eaton, and you search John Eaton Moog, there are some really fascinating interviews with him. He wow. was he, he was a genius. He was a MacArthur uh, Genius Grant recipient. Wow. Okay. Really, like, understated, beautiful human being. He and my dad really loved each other. Mm. But my dad worked on his instrument for 25 years. Was was there an uh, which what synth was attached to that touch plate interface? Wait, you mean to the multi-touch sensitive keyboard? Yeah, 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 to the multi-touch sensitive keyboard. What was he using? I I, I think he it had its own synth engine. Oh, okay. So it was just oh, an interface. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay, that's pretty Got interesting. It. Wow, that's really yeah. interesting. Mm -hmm. I wrote it. I'm gonna look. I want to research this more. It's really yeah. Good. Yeah. <laughs> In any case, so he was kind of working on what you might consider those kind of odd projects during that period. But what happened is it wasn't enough to pay the bills. And remember those four kids he had in 1970? Well, all of them became college age and they needed to go through school. Yeah. So he wound up, um, one of the companies that he was consulting for was Kurzweil. Mm. And um, they offered him a job as a vice president for uh, new product research. And so we, in the middle of my junior year of high school, we hightailed it up to Boston and my dad took a job and he was there for five years doing that. Kind of running this is big. After RA Moog? Is that after RA? Well, R it was it went RA Moog. And then when Bill Waitana took over the company, it became, well, Moog Musonics and then Moog Music. And then dad left in 1977. 
he started Big Briar. Now, during this period, of course, he's working for Big Briar, he's working for Kurzweil. What's happening with Moog Music? Well, uh, you know, as late as 1982, the memory mode comes out. So they're still making keyboards after he left. Okay. But I, it was around, you know, a little bit after 1985 that Moog Music started having some big problems. And, you know, that I think the Japanese synthesizer companies were just too much competition and hard to keep up with. Mm. And they wound up closing down pretty soon after that. I mean, they did, they kind of morphed Moog Music into something called um Moog electronics and eje electronics and then it basically just tapered out mm. so so dad worked there um it, it worked at kurzweil until about 1989 came back down to north carolina opened big briar up again but it wasn't too long oh and then he started making theremins again um and eventually there was an analog resurgence and that's when um, he started making Mogerfogers in 1998. Mm. So Big Briar was a theremin and Mogerfoger company for a while. And, it, and then in 2002, what happened is the, um, the trademark or the, the Moog trademark um, came up for renewal and no one realized it and dad didn't realize it. And someone, someone else grabbed it. And it was this oh. guy named one of Hi, Don Martin, I think was his last name, Martin. And he he started making modulars and mini modes. And that got my dad's attention hmm. because mini modes were crap. Mm. And that really bothered him to see something mm. with his name on it and his legacy on it that was not great quality. Yeah, there's our man. Mm -hmm. You That's know, if, if Bob Moog was about anything, it was great quality. And so yeah, he looks so happy. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's, that's his happy place right there yeah. genuinely you know when you look at someone's picture and you know it's a real smile like yeah. that's a great photo <laughs> yeah that's great so he um in 2000 well in like 1999 2000 he sued to get his name back and it took a lot of money and a lot of time but he finally got it back right in 2002 and that's when they um launched the voyager mm. Mm. Wow! Nice, yeah, nice. I mean, he had been working on the Voyager, but they—they they were able. What year to... did he pass? What, what year did he pass? Just out of curiosity. Two thousand five. Okay. Yeah. Wow, that's a hell of a legacy. I know. And so, uh, well, did you? <clears throat> when did the Bob Moog Foundation come online? Or did, you know, when was the inception of Bob Moog Foundation? Well, this is bring us back to what you asked me at the very beginning. Hmm. I wouldn't, I, when, you know, you said, do people come up to you and tell you about your dad and how is that and all that? Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't say that any of us have envisioned my dad is someone who wanted a foundation named after him. He was too humble and, mm -hmm. you know, his focus yeah. was on, on his work. Um, but what happened is when he got, he got sick in the late spring of 2005, he had a, found out he had a brain tumor. Wow. And um, things progressively got worse over a three-month, three-week period. And what happened is he wanted to keep in touch with um, 40 people around the world. So he asked my brother, who was most tech-savvy among us, to figure out a way to do that um, so that he didn't have to call people, write people. You know, he was going through enough already because he was going through chemo and radiation. And, um, 
So my brother set up a page on the caringbridge.com, um, which is basically a site where you, for people who are critically and terminally ill to be able to communicate with large groups of people um, that they care about. And it has two functions. One is you can write out and tell people how you're doing. It's a journal. The other one is a guest book where people write in and say, we love you. We're thinking about you. You know, they can offer a prayer. They can tell you, you know, eat two cups of blueberries a day because that'll help shrink tumor, whatever it is. And uh, what happened is that that the link to that page was sent out to those very special 40 people. And um without realizing that it was supposed to be a discreet thing, one of those people posted the link on a synthesizer chat group. Oh, wow. And we got a thousand hits in a day. Wow. And we wow. all kind of freaked out because we were really trying to keep this quiet. I mean, it's hard enough for everyone to, in the family to deal with what's going on. It's such a, a weird free path and you don't know what's happening and what's gonna, what the result is gonna be. Yeah. You know, but then to have that, maybe splashed all over the newspapers is something we really wanted to avoid. So, you know, I, my brother got really angry and put up a, a, a password and then he wrote the 40 people again and said, here's the password. Don't share it. Mm -hmm. but my dad surprised us a couple days later and said, you know what? Just take the password down. Just let them come. Wow. Wow. Which really surprised us, but that was such a beautiful thing. Yeah, sure. And uh, that was the beginning of July in that, seven weeks before he died, there were 60,000 hits on that page. Wow. And even more than that, there were 4,000 people who wrote into the, the, um, the guest book, but I, they were, they were essentially 4,000 testimonials about how Bob Moog had impacted, influenced, transformed people's lives. Uh, how they, how he gave them their creative voice, how because of him, they were a musician, how because of him, they were an engineer, how mm -hmm. they saw him speak once and they were really scared to approach him and they mm -hmm. waited in line forever and walked up to him and asked him a question about design and he whipped a pen out of his pocket and drew them a diagram on their neck. <laughs> Still have up on their studio wall you know so what i would do is I, during the day i had two little kids then i would you know take care of my kids i would go take help take care of dad when i wasn't working and then after i put my kids to bed i would sit in front of that computer and read those testimonials and i am telling you that was my introduction to bob mode wow that is wow. when the walls that he had built up came crashing down and i it was almost blinding the light the you know that it's like the the recognition, the dawning of recognition of, you know, I knew my dad invented the Moog synthesizer. That's mm -hmm. about all I knew. What I didn't realize is the profound and widespread impact that he had right. people all over the world. And that was really the springboard for all of us. I mean, we all just kind of looked at each other with our mouths open. It's like, what, what is this? Wow. But you know, whether you, you, this, you're new to it or not, you recognize what an incredibly powerful and beautiful thing it is. So it's like, you know what, we need to do something to carry this forward. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so happy you did. Yes. And so we that's when we created the Bob Moe Foundation. So that's that's the origin. And I'm telling you, I feel like all of you and people like you, you taught me who Bob Moog mm -hmm. is, was. 
and and I've been able to take that and carry that forward to, to hopefully keep that legacy alive for for people yeah, all yeah, yeah. of all ages. So that was and the impetus was really to to bring it bring the legacy forward to future generations, people who hadn't been able to experience it themselves. And that's when we created our educational program, Dr. Bob Sound School, where we teach little kids, seven year olds, about mm. science of sound. Mm. Um, Go, yeah, we've go. taught we've taught fifteen thousand kids in our area about the wow. physical sound. Wow. Yeah, I'm really really proud of that project, and we're working really hard to wow. to expand it nationwide. Yeah, yeah. you can scroll so just down to, there. Hey, Michelle, story. just yeah. to clarify, um, all all of these uh, foundations and and programs that that you're running um, with these names it, is this all separate from the the current Moog company? Yes, we're completely separate. So okay. the Bob Moog Foundation is a 501c3 nonprofit. Okay. And yeah, we're, we're so when people are donating, they're donating directly to the causes as opposed to, you know, a, a company who then is contributing money and that sort of thing. It's directly to the calls. Yes, and I'm really glad that you asked because it's a common misperception and I completely understand why. Um, that people think Moog is Moog is Moog, but you know, Moog music makes the incredible instruments. That is their their path, and we are the organization that carries Bob's legacy forward through education and archive preservation. So, for asking, but yeah, when you make a donation, it goes right to the nonprofit and only to That's the nonprofit. Good. Yeah, I wanted to bring that up just because I've seen like it, it does seem like in in the industry there's a lot of. Um, uh, misunderstandings there as far as how that sort of stuff is, is played out. But um, mm -hmm. you have have stayed on this path of education and uh, not just towards, you know, educating people about your father, but educating new people just about mm -hmm. music and technology and, yeah. you know, engineering and everything else that comes with that, um, which, which has been really beautiful. One thing that I did see was uh, your TED Talk. Which was fantastic. Yeah, that was dope. It was it was a really cool oh, TED talk. Thank you. That that TED talk um, that. was that something that was that something that was difficult for you to prepare, or had you already been kind of sort of yeah. telling that story for a while, or how how did that come about for you? Um, it it, it had its share of difficulty, but you know what. It, I, I'll tell you how I feel like it came about. Um, recently, we had a synthesis, um, Michael Whalen, on our Momentum in Place events, and he talked a lot about his sound design process. He just came out with an album called Sacred Spaces, and he designed over 900 sounds for it. And he was talking about how he that process for him. And he said, you know, it wasn't like I sat down and thought of a song and, and thought, okay, I'm going to need to create that sound. I'm going to need to create that sound. He said, no, you know what? I just went to my instruments. I let them lead me. I created all these sounds. And then I sat down and thought, okay, I've got all these sounds. Now, okay, I'm going to start with this one. Okay, now I've got that one. Well, I feel like my TED Talk was that it was the synthesis of everything that I had been feeling, experiencing and learning in this position. So in that way, once I could sit down and focus on what my theme was, it came together fairly easy. If, it, if anything was difficult is that um, I was running the foundation with one part-time person at that point. And so it was, uh, uh, I was really busy doing that and, um, 
I, I would have loved to spend a little bit more time preparing for my TED talk, but I did make it through it without screwing up. So I'm telling you what, the wellspring for that TED talk is Bob Moog. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really just the power of inspiration because it's just what we're talking about. The way that, you know, and, and, and it's not just how he inspired other people, which he did, and how he inspired me, how he continues to inspire me. But I knew how much other people had inspired him, how mm-hmm. deeply inspired he was by the work of Leon Theremin, by the work of Wendy Carlos, by Clara Rockmore's incredible uh, virtuosa uh, talents, and by by Herb Deutsch, by so many people. We are all... Um, you know, beautifully driven by inspiration if we allow ourselves to be. And I saw that in him, yeah. you know, the whole continuum of the people mm-hmm. he was inspired by to the people he inspired. So that in that way, it, it, it came together easily. What, nice. what, what, else, what, what else was Bob Moog good at that we don't know? Like what's a, a fun fact? Oh, that's a that's a good the question. Fun fact, the thing with the because a lot of creatives are great at one. We see them creative in one area, but they're really creative in a lot of other areas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you know what? Bob Moog is great cook and baker. Wow. <laughs> and I just feel like you know some. Well, we, we got to a Bob but like, You know what? That is just synthesis of another form. Yes. It is. It right? is. Yeah, and I'll tell you, he would put the same kind of craftsmanship into that that he did everything else. He was also a really good gardener. He loved. Mm-hmm. That's garden. what I was about to say. I had I had heard tales of of his gardening as well. So I, I had heard that he had, he had a beautiful garden. He he did he did and he loved to garden. And in the Moog documentary, the one that's already out, you know, that came out in the early two thousands, there's he's in there saying, you know. He's gardening. They're filming him gardening. And he says, you know, there's a similarity between gardening and engineering. I don't know what it is, but I can I can just feel it. <laughs> yeah, he loved to garden. He was, you know, we heated our house with wood and he often would chop almost all that wood. And he was very precise about that. Um, he loved nature. So he was a real aficionado, uh, you know, nature lover, understood the birds. He was a bird watcher. Um, he had a really raucous sense of humor. (laughs) (laughs) And you know what? I actually have some jewelry that he made my mother. That's quite beautiful. Wow. That's amazing. In the early, early sixties. I wish I had worn it, um, one of them. But he he made it in the '60s. My mom would jokes around and said that way. That's what your father was doing when he was procrastinating from writing his thesis. <laughs> uh, he, he certainly, you know, he, he he he's known for the sonic beauty that he contributed to, but he really appreciated, uh, you know, visual beauty in all forms as well. I really I really love the fact that a lot of Bob Moog's inventions really unify a lot of people when it comes to like just the low end and the synthesis and just the vibe that comes off the instruments you can get so many people from different walks of life and different races different creeds all this stuff to sit and say like yo that synth makes me feel a certain way and -hmm. i think that's the the power of like a lot of innovative thinkers that create these things that just bring people together and create a sound and a message that we could all like get behind you know and that's something that's really beautiful about 
just thinking now into the future, like the legacy that he created that's going to inspire people like us to make things in the future, to mm -hmm. really just unite people. Mm -hmm. So I'm just really excited about hearing these stories because when we hear it, it kind of confirms the vibe that we get from the instrument. Word. It's like, oh man, that's the dude that made this vibe, this sound. Mm -hmm. it, it really means a lot. And so it's something, something's really special just hearing this stuff. So I'm really encouraged by it. Well, good. And I, I think you're right. That sound is just a reflection of, you know, his, I don't know, his kind of connection to the earth. I know that may sound a little woo-woo, but, you know, his whole connection to his life in general was very grounded and open and this connection to nature and, you know, that big fat analog sound, I think, is, mm -hmm. is a mirror of all of that. Here's the flip. Here's the flip. Yeah, he was a great dude, but you lived in the house. So who did he have beef with? <laughs> I was gonna, I was gonna ask, I was gonna kind of touch on that. Wait, I was gonna, well, like, well, wait, Mo did, Mo didn't. There was some things with Arp at one point, right? It was a little bit of stuff with Arp, but in the end, they were friends. <laughs> but yeah, well, that's because. Alan, you know, used the filter. Um, uh-oh, uh-oh. Really, yeah, that really upset Dad. And Dad, yeah, went, yeah. Dad went and gave him what for. Um, but my understanding is, you know, then uh, Alan developed this very stable oscillator, and Dad learned a few things from that. So, um, it you know. It becomes industry pushing industry forward pushing the the individuals forward at that point yeah but, yeah. That, that, but that's special because they have beef but then they learn from each other and that's mm -hmm. and that's yep. the point that's the point it's like hey man you took my sound he's like yeah because you did it wrong let me show you how to fix it and this is how you yeah. do this you know <laughs> right. so, so like the, they bounce we, off of each other yeah we fight yep. with each other all the time us in this group you know we, we you know we shut up steel because oh, oh, me, yeah, me, me and Ken, uh, me and Flux are always fighting with each other all the time, but it's just because I'm better so, than him. Um, so, Michelle, <laughs> can, can you guys hear me? Can you guys hear me? Yeah, we can. So, Michelle, uh, the, the final years of uh, Bob's life uh, and what you learned in those years, that relationship between you and your father and synthesis. Uh, can you talk about that a little bit? What was that like? Those 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 final you know years and and uh, your relationship with him with your dad. You know, I didn't learn anything about synthesis in those final years. You know, in those final years, it was, you know, I, I my dad was here in Nashville. I was here in Nashville. He was he. My parents had gotten divorced. He was married to somebody else. He um, uh, we would I would see him for lunch every other week, and I would see he would come over and babysit my kids a few times, and you know we'd have them over. We'd go over there, but you know the thing that I really just learned and marveled at him as uh, how wise he was, how present he was when you were in front of him and he was really present. Mm -hmm. How when you asked him a question and you thought you knew how he was going to answer, a lot of times you didn't. Mm -hmm. And it almost to the point now when people say, well, Bob would have thought. It's like, honey, 
please. That, no that is the special thing about Bob is that we don't know what he would have thought. I mean, I really, right. really, I mean, I've met a lot of people in my life, especially through this job, but he was really connected to the universe in a different way than most people. Mm. And, you know, and he says in that same movie, that's it, only because he opened himself up to it, you know? He, he opened himself up to the network of ideas and allowed those ideas to come through him. That's he right. never, he said it would be an egotistical of me to think those ideas were my own. Mm. I open myself up to the network of ideas and they come through me. That makes all the sense mm. in the world. Right. And yet it's not the way people think about it. So there was a certain amount of, you know, he was able to put aside that ego that we all we all do a dance with yeah. um, and, and let something really special come through. And that's I learned a lot from that wisdom, that kind of cosmic intelligence. Mm. Um, that's really what I was absorbing at that point. Mm. That's cool. Cosmic so, intelligence. That's mm -hmm. So with the that. with the Moog Foundation, um, with the Moog Foundation being, you know, uh, having a, a a pretty vested interest in in teaching people, um, can you dive in a little bit as far as what that's what that means and like kind of get to some specifics as far as what the program is actually doing? Mm -hmm. Like the approach, I guess, with the kids. Yeah. So. You know, one of the things that we we learned is how powerful sound and learning about sound, learning about shaping sound, exploring sound can be. And we wanted to carry that forward, but we really wanted to get in on the ground level. There are a lot of institutions that already teach synthesis to people who are, you know, teenagers and young adults. Um, we don't need to duplicate that. Not that many institutions are teaching little kids about the science of sound. And especially these days when, you know, a kid can pick up the phone and start playing a synthesizer on it yeah. yep. and know nothing about what comes, uh, what the principles of where all that comes from. Mm -hmm. So we decided we were going to get in on the base level and inspire those kids, not only through sound, but um, to embrace the idea of discovery and curiosity. Mm -hmm. So Dr. Bob's sound school is basically teaching kids about the basic physics of sound. Mm -hmm. They learn how sound is made, how it travels, and how it's heard. Mm -hmm. um, that's a 10-week curriculum. This is not the kind wow. of thing we, we go into a school for an hour and do a presentation. Wow. This is 10 weeks. Yeah. Kids, you all kind. We we set up all kinds of experiential uh, experiments, activities for them. Mm -hmm. They use a theremin hooked up to an oscilloscope to understand pitch and volume. They learn how to read waveforms. I mean, we've got we've got fifteen thousand little kids that r run around Asheville that can tell you. They can read a waveform and tell you is it a high pitch or low pitch, a uh, loud sound or a soft sound. I applaud that. I'm a little kid. I wanna. I wanna go. Biggest little kid. That's that's so good. That's so amazing. Hey, I'll report you. Hey, Bryce, I'll report you. 
So, um, you know, in addition to them learning the principles of sound, one of the things we do is we have them create a science notebook where they they follow scientific methodology. We teach them about scientific methodology. Uh, um, you know, that you have an idea, you write that idea down, you test the idea, and you write down the results. Mm. And the way that we um, set an example for them is we uh, we share Bob's notebook pages with them. Oh, wow. That's exactly wow. what he did. All of cool. you know, and the notebook page I love the most is where he writes down his idea, he tests it, and then he writes down the results and puts a big X through it and says it didn't work. And then, <laughs> and then the next page is him trying again. Yeah. We teach kids, you know what? Every idea you have is valid. And every time you test it out and it doesn't work, you're one step closer mm -hmm. to it working. And mm -hmm. the goal actually isn't only to get it working. The goal is that journey of discovery. Mm -hmm. That that reminds me of Edison. Like what? What was it? Like ten thousand uh, different tribes? Yeah, before mm -hmm. he actually got the light bulb to work. So yeah, that, that. exactly, mm -hmm. exactly. And I think in some ways, kids uh, aren't encouraged to to do that kind of exploration. You know, they sit in front of their video games, and it's a different kind of experience. I'm not going to bash video games. I know kids get get certain things out of that, but um, this is a, a kind of counterbalance to those kind of experiences. Yeah, We're really excited about it because Dr. Bob Sound School works. The kids love it. The teachers love it. Um, the administrators love it. And we've had parents come back to us and say, you know what? When I pick my little girl up every day, I ask her what she did in school. And she's like, I went to recess. She said, but you know what? I This is one parent in the for our first year of teaching told me this. I saw her at a party in the summer. So it was right after that first school year. And she said, but, you know, my I knew exactly when it was Dr. Bob's sound school day because oh, – my little girl, my little girl will get in the car and she taught me about Leon Theremin and Clara Rockmore. She taught me about waveforms and vibrations going from your throat into the air back into someone else's ear. And I just sat there listening to this and I thought, <laughs> you know, I almost teared up because I'm like, yeah, okay, this is working. This yeah. works. Yeah. If yeah. that little girl could explain it to her oh, mom, well enough for her mom to repeat it back to me. So we're we're working on expanding this program nationwide, and of course things are really different right now. So um, we're 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 putting the motions in place for when we can expand, we will be expanding, mm -hmm. and we we hope to inspire you know a generation of little kids Absolutely. through the science of sound, and it is really it's a science curriculum taught through music and technology. Mm -hmm. So we're weaving all that together. It's you know, it's it's Bob Moog's legacy all woven together and presented at, at a seven-year-old level. And we would like to create a, like a um, one for fifth and sixth grade and then one for seventh and eighth grade as well. So that there's some kind of continuum that we can build upon. Hey, based on some of the sounds I hear out here, you need something for like 20,000th grade. <laughs> no tell. What do you what do you mean by that? All no, the people just, just that, are not kids. that are not making great music is what are you talking right. about? Right. <laughs> Hey Michelle, um, let, let's talk a little bit about how people can can help the 
Bob Moog Foundation in general, yeah, just because yeah. um, it is it is a nonprofit organization. So how can how do you get your funding and how can people help? Yeah. Well, Ken, thank you for asking because it's a really important question. One of the things that is a challenge for us is one of the things that you asked about before that people think we're part of the company Moog Music, which we're not. And um, we do not get any funding from Moog Music. And that's kind of a deliberate choice on our part. We It's important for us to be independent um, so that we can, do, we can do our own thing and they can do their own thing. Um, and so there, are, there aren't any kind of false expectations in between in that in that dynamic. So um, we started off with uh, almost no funding back in 2005, and we have slowly built this foundation from the ground up. For for five years, it was me working alone in my basement, which is where I am now. <laughs> Ironically enough, that's a, that's a nice uh, look. you got a nice looking basement. You got walls. <laughs> Ken, Ken, show us your basement. Show us your <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> so it's been a gradual process of building the foundation up with the help of a lot of people and a few different companies. So the the most powerful way to help is to donate. And that may sound um, kind of trite because, of course, you hear that all the time. But it's really true. It's like it's like saying, well, what's the best way to get my car to run? Mm. Well, you need to put some gas in it. Mm. And if you don't, it's not going to run, even though it's a great car. Yeah. So that's when you consider you can consider donations the fuel that that makes this foundation run. Um, so that's a really powerful way. Another powerful way is for all the tech geeks out there. There are a few companies that have supported us with some really beautiful products. Spectrasonics and Eric Persing was a, were the first to do that. Um, mm. Spectrasonics developed the Bob Moog Tribute Library, which yeah. is a sound library um, that has, I think, over 800 sounds in it. Mm. With yeah, 40, I got it. It's great. 40, 42 different artists created songs for well. it. It's, yeah. And mm -hmm. that was developed in 2011, and it's still, the funding from that is still an important part of what funds the Bob Moog Foundation. Wow. Nice. Um, nice. Motu also created something, so for anyone who uses their Mach 5 uh, sampler, I think it is, um, uh, that there's a, what is it called? The Bob Moog Foundation Encore Sound Bank. And then most recently, Native Instruments created modular icons, which also benefits the Bob Moog Foundation, something we were heavily involved in. Nice. So that's another way. Another way is that we have an online store with all kinds of cool T-shirts. Mm -hmm. Oh, nice. Yeah, nice. I, I bought those posters a while back when I, I had a different studio then, so I wanted some things put on the wall, so I got the, the waveform posters, the color. Yep. Yeah. Oh, that one, all right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Yep. yeah, this is great. Just yeah. so you know, the only reason this isn't on the wall right now, and you can see I have the other one in the back there. Oh, yeah. Um, and I, I have, and, and the one right there, I, I don't know how to do this with my 
video flipped. But um, yeah, I, I've got the whole the whole shebang here, and I, I love these. By the way, they're super awesome, and they glow in black light too, which is really cool. Yeah, um, and I have to say, you know, that's a be- a really beautiful way that some people have participated. Those posters mm-hmm. designed designed by DNKG Studios out in LA, and they initially donated some of them for a, a poster art show that um, the early earliest Mode Fests mm-hmm. held just to benefit the foundation. That's when um, AC Entertainment was running MoFest. And I went back to them and asked them if we could reprint them. And we wound up reprinting them. And they sold out so quickly and raised $10,000 for the foundation. Wow, that's, that's just that's great. Awesome. That's great. So if you check out our online store, that's a really mm-hmm. important way I, i've been going to the museum and packing stuff because we had a very active may and a lot of people were visiting our website and um and visiting the stores and all of that helps every little bit helps there are also other ways you can choose us as your beneficiary of choice on amazon smile if you order stuff from amazon wow. you just go through if you go through amazon file choose us as your beneficiary a little bit of every purchase you make comes to us it doesn't cost you anything mm. yeah you know there's we've got a little bit of music up on Bandcamp. um there's um an edgar froze tribute album that uh several musicians made that also benefits us Right. So there, and actually, there's a page, Corey. If you can find it, there's a page on our website called mm-hmm. um, "All of the Cool Ways You Can Support the Bob Moog Foundation." Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm on here right now. Hold on, one And um, it has all of these ways, and probably some that I've forgotten listed. <laughs> but you know, even if it's something like you know, what's really powerful is if you make a monthly donation and even if it's 10 bucks you know it all adds up and those kind of donors who can donate every month um really helps us uh people also people can donate um items to our archive um yeah someone donated a sonic six toss last year they donated a micromog they um we we um Yeah, the Micromog is being restored right now. We're going to put it in the, in our store at the Mogazeum and let people play it. Wow. Yeah, wow. and uh, people have donated old articles, letters from Bob, um, all kinds of schematics, Moog memorabilia. Someone is sending us a Moog jacket that they got when they um, were earlier in their career and wow. Bob signed so the inside of it for them. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, you know, there are, there are all kinds of ways that, that people can help. And if uh, people have any questions about, you know, if they have a special way they think they can help they can always contact us at info at modefoundation.org and we'll get back to them that's great nice. Nice. I, I have a, a final question before i think before we wrap up uh any secret since you have in the house that no one's ever been able to see you just confirm just say yeah or no you know you don't got to tell us what it is but no no and no uh, you okay. know that's the thing i was never close to that part of the legacy it's the if anyone has that, the secret synths, it's Moog Music. Okay, because I'm like, man, it might be something in the attic or under the bed, you know, <laughs> behind, behind, a, behind a fridge. You know, there might I be like a know, little... The secret <laughs> would be... In the basement there. No, no. About telling us. No, no, I, I, I was just thinking about that. I was like, man, what what did they... What, like, what did you see in your house that you might have forgotten? Like, wait, that thing was in our living room. Or that <laughs> thing was like... Like, whoa. 
Yeah. And tell us be, before, you know, that we were, um, I remember years ago, I talked to Wave Shaper, the guys over there. I actually interviewed them. Uh, I was at MoFest and they were premiering, uh, uh, was it All Little Wires or? I Dream yeah. of Wires. I dream of Wires. They were premiering I Dream of Wires at MoFest and I got a chance to interview them and I like hung out with everybody. That was a great event that, that year. Then um, I was actually happy to hear that they were working with you on a Bob Moog documentary and Electronic Voyagers is the name. How's that coming about now? It's it's going really well. I mean, it's slow, but mm -hmm. I actually think there's some beauty behind that because they're not rushing it mm -hmm. and they're really determined to deliver a really meaningful and deep and unknown story. Mm -hmm. um, so that's all taken a little bit of time and they're, you know, they're uh, just like a lot of documentary organizations, they struggle for funding and they have invested a lot of money in this. You know, we, I have traveled all up and down the East Coast with them. I went out to California with them. We went to Europe and interviewed Peter Zanavia, um, hmm. Lydia Kavina, who is Leon Theremin's, uh, the, 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 the daughter of his cousin, um, you know, she was Leon Theremin's student. Um, we interviewed Jean-Michel Jacques. We interviewed Felix Visser, who used to have Synton synthesizers and was very close to my father. I mean, we are interviewing people who have not been interviewed before, mm. and um, and we're getting lots of people together to be interviewed at once, like. Oh, nice. Original engineers at Moog Music all got together in Trumansburg, New York, at the Moog, the old RA Moog Co, mm -hmm. and talked about those days. So it, they um, actually, at this point, the guys have a two-hour rough cut. They've got a four-hour rough cut. They've got something else that they're working on that will help fund getting those two cuts, the two-hour and four-hour cut, um, out to the public. Um, we they were down here um, last September. We filmed a bunch of B-roll. We did a couple more interviews, and I did a big long voiceover. Um, but some of that voiceover has changed, so I'm going to be doing another voiceover. So we're still working on it, but it's very deliberate and detailed work. And we're you know they're trying to dig up all kinds of cool photos that people haven't seen before, old information. So it's a kind of thing where you're going to say, well, that was worth the wait. And I, I know a lot of people have been frustrated. Like, where is it? It's like, it, it's coming. It, it is coming. Yeah, yeah. They are working on it. And they have really been wonderful stewards of, of this story. That's How is that going to be released, just out of curiosity? Uh, I, I don't know yet, and I don't think okay. they know yet. You know, they've got a little while to go. they got to raise the funding. Mm -hmm. It's really the music licensing at this point mm -hmm. that I think is the big consideration for them. So, mm -hmm. you know, they may have to – yeah, that's about all I can say. I'm not sure exactly how it's going to roll out. Right. Yeah, you know, I Dream of Wires made it on to Netflix, you know, right. perhaps. Perhaps something like that will be an avenue. Be cool. I, yeah. I, I I know at some point when these things become possible again, they want to premiere it at one of the big um, film festivals. Yeah, like, hot, yeah, like Hot Docs mm -hmm. South by Southwest, or the, and there are many others that they're looking at. Mm -hmm. So um, I am really excited because you know we we went back and talked to. Um, someone who knew him as a little boy, his uh, Mark Kupferberg's. Uh, father hired my dad when my dad was a teenager to work in his power supply company. 
Yeah. Designing the power supplies for them when he was in college. And he remembers him. And <laughs> so right. it's, it's all these kind of unique perspectives um, that that we're, we've been able to get and really some really stunning moments. Mm, I, I can tell you, but having met those guys and seeing and knowing their passion for the work that they do, the guys at Wave Shaper, I don't think you could have chose a better team to partner with for something this important. And uh, I think it's going to have a lot of impact. And those just nice guys. And, you know, I know that, you know, just from what I found out from interviewing them and from the fact that they had, you know, I Dream of Wires, and then they had kind of like the hardcore cut where it was like, twice as long almost and it was still just as interested like this is going to be really good stuff so i believe it'll be worth the wait yeah it will and they've been really great to work with and they are really passionate you know they're both electronic musicians and really into electronic music of course and have this huge reference for bob and for the whole spectrum uh, you know of it of inventors um so yeah, I'm I'm really really excited about it. And you know, one of the beautiful things that happened recently is they sent me a tour of Rough Cut, and I watched it, and there was a, so much great stuff. But I said to them, I'm not going to say specifically what it was, but I said to them, you know what? There is one important part that's not being addressed. Mm -hmm. And they were like, yeah, you know, we actually realized that. What can we do? How can we do this? Um, so they're we're working together to try and figure out how to weave that important aspect into the story. So they're you know. They're open and they really have a lot of uh, intention and integrity going into this project. That's awesome. Right. That is yeah, I love that. Mm -hmm. Well, cool. Um, I want to say before uh, we go anywhere, we're a little bit over an hour, but when <clears throat> in the in the 90s, I was doing a lot of rap shows and, you know, I was in a hip hop group in Chicago and I decided at some point like, yo, bro, we broke. <laughs> and I don't know, we sharing a, a vegetarian subway sandwich and I think I need to do that already <laughs> sounds horrible. Yeah, it was bad. Vegetarian. I'm sorry, Corey. Yeah, it was bad news, man. And uh our manager, you know, in the nineties it was a style where you you know, you some cats would rock two pair of socks and extra shirts, you know, have a, a t shirt, a regular shirt, and then another shirt on top of that. And it was a very hip hop sort of look. And I'm like, this dude got a million new shirts on and we sharing a sandwich over here. <laughs> with mad shirts, sweaty. Yeah, and uh, he got new boots on, and it's cold in Chicago. Anyway, that was the time that I made a decision. Like, I ain't about to be no broke musician, broke artist kind of thing. So I decided I was going to go and uh, study electronics. And when I was studying electronics, I really discovered Bob Moog because we had to do a senior project for my associate's degree in electronics, um, and I chose to build a theremin. <gasps> and <laughs> yeah, a man and, after my father's heart. Yeah, you know, well, unfortunately, I never built that theremin at that point because somebody said, "Well, you know, you can volunteer at this school building computers and get the credit, and you don't have to think." <laughs> and I was like, "Okay, I'll go do that." But years later, uh, as I was uh, studying for my master's degree, and that's when B Boy Tech Report came about. It was actually a project for my master's degree. 
And um, I told a story about how I was supposed to build a theremin and never did. <laughs> and then um, uh, somebody from Moog Music reached out to me. It was like, you know what? We love your blog. We love what you do. We love this kind of technical and, and hip hop and music sort of thing that you're bringing together in the blog. So we're going to send you a free theremin. And they sent that theremin to me. Then they bought ads from the site for me. And, and I built the theremin. I felt proud. I was standing there like, I finally built my theremin. <laughs> That's great. Right. Like, it feels cool to have you on the show and uh, just kind of talk about your father's legacy. And I love the work that you I just want to thank you for coming on. Yo, the only reason I ain't mess with a third man because it seemed like a workout. No, that's not the only reason. It's because you're way too young, be still. Just be real. <laughs> nah, dog. Yeah. Nah, listen, young, listen, bro. Bro. Come on, you know, the, thought on. Of, the, the thought of making music like this <laughs> and working out and working into a sweat. Just totally like was not attractive. It's so cool. Like I had a chance. Says to the that. drummer. And it's right, pretty right, right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I, I have to say too. Like I had an opportunity to, to um, for the first time, to play the the Moog synthesizer twelve, like an original. Oh and, wow! Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I looked in the back of that, and I was like, "This thing is as old as I am." <laughs> And it's amazing. <laughs> it's like, That's wow. <laughs> My yeah. daughter will come yeah. into my studio here sometimes. Like I was oh. uh, messing with Modular. She'll say, you know what this needs? It needs the theremin. That's what she needs. <laughs> it needs. <laughs> but yeah, it was an amazing experience. No doubt. No doubt. Yeah, you know, but, it was you know, a, that, yo. It was amazing talking to you, Michelle. Oh well, thank you. It's so fun yeah. being on. Thank you. Yeah. You know, I I would just say two things to to wind up. First of all, we're sitting here talking about the theremin. Everyone should remember that Bob Moog would not be who he was without Leon Theremin. Mm -hmm. He was so deeply inspired by another very humble, dedicated, and brilliant innovator. Mm. And he knew he stood on Leon Theremin's shoulders and wow. on others like Leon Theremin. Wow. And Leon Theremin has a big presence in, in the Moogseum. Mm. Um, but the other thing, and when I, as we're wrapping up in the times we're living in, I just want to say, and I feel like Bob Moog would say the same thing. And first of all, is that Black Lives Matter? And mm. second of all, is that all those people out there protesting better be voting? Yeah. Amen. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's yep. right. That's right. Yes. Love yeah. to hear that. Love to hear Ultimate that. Yeah. Voice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No doubt. Mm -hmm. no doubt. Well, we appreciate you, and um, you know, you're always welcome on if you ever have something that's that's new happening. As a matter of fact, when the documentary comes out, we'd love to have you back and that talk about the journey and and have the uh, uh, the other guys from uh, Wave Shaper on with you. That would be a really really good conversation. Oh, that would be amazing. No doubt. Well, um, without further ado, listen, we want to thank Michelle for coming by and talking with us. Thank you so much, Michelle. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. And we hope we'll be able to see you in person again at at, yeah. uh, at NAM if 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 these quarantines and isolations right. of eleven. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Man, they let Fingers crossed. I again. definitely look forward to meeting you in person. Yeah. Right. 
That'd be great. Whenever, whenever that can happen, I look yeah, forward to it. Absolutely, absolutely. And for all of those people that's out there checking this out, whether you're watching it live or whether you're uh, watching it after it airs, smash that like button, smash the subscribe button, uh, like, share, subscribe, and support these efforts so we can keep bringing you dope content. Hey, Corey, right? yes. Corey yeah. I just want to say, you don't have to smash it. Just hit it lightly so that you can do it again next week. I don't want you to break it. Just keep it in good working condition so that you can do it often. You like and subscribe. All right. Thanks, guys. I'm going to end the show right here. Yeah. Yo, that was amazing.